bit of free stuff. Um, tonight, I want to take us again uh, just on something that I've come to know personally and carry a conviction of is truth because it's part of my personal testimony. And I want to take us through a powerful process. It's not the only way, but it's been a process that God has taken me on to receive greater revelation of the depths of God's truth. You know, I, I said this last week, I don't want a God that I can understand in my mind. I don't want to worship a God that I can put into a box. I don't want to worship a God that, that is, that if I can figure him out, then he's a pretty small God because my mind's not that big. And, and that would be a scary thing. And, and, you know, there are scriptures in this incredible book that say that God has concealed truth for us. Why would a loving father conceal things? And I have a look at that question tonight. For us, not from us, for us. Why would he do that? And as we understand and as we walk through this process, uh, we will come to believe greater purposes for you and I as the church. Because if I was to ask you what your current understanding was of what it means to be the church, we don't come to church, we are the church, and the purpose for the church on earth as God sees it, what would your answers be? Because mine went something like this. Get saved, get as many people saved as you can, try to get as many people not going to hell, disciple them into reaching the lost and not getting people saved, and then I wait for heaven. That was pretty much the sort of paradigm and it's a big part of a lot of people's thinking still that we've got to go reach the lost, reach the lost. Do we need to reach the lost? Absolutely. And then hell, then we wait for heaven, and then, I don't know, we float around on a cloud maybe and, you know, sing country and western music because that's the only music that's truly in heaven. And, uh, and then, I don't know, we all sing Kumbaya, we do life group, uh, which was fantastic, by the way. I'm coming to your life group. And, um, and then, I don't know, that's not my reality today. There are things contained in this book. God says, no eye has seen. No ear has heard, no mind has conceived or has entered the heart of man that God has in store for those who love him, that it will be revealed through the Spirit. It actually says that God has prepared already for those who love him. So there are, there are truth, there's truth in here contained in this book that I believe none of us are yet seeing. Because up until two and a half years ago, I would have told you that was my paradigm, that's it. And God's shaken me a little bit. I've dismantled me, put me back together again. And there are things now that I'm seeing that have radically changed my language, changed the way I lead. And I want to share this process with you tonight. So um, come with me to Proverbs 25 verse 2. Just in case you think I'm not telling you the truth. Proverbs 25, verses 2. You know, God gives us pictures throughout his word. We see a man that finds treasure in a field. What does the man do? Sells everything he has and goes and buys the field. What did he find? What type of life is it? What type of person is that? You find something you've been looking for. 
and you sell everything you've owned because this thing is so incredible. This gold, this treasure that you found is so incredible that it radically alters your life. Proverbs 25, 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Is that the God that I know? God, you conceal matters, a matter, but the glory of a king's or the glory of kings, notice that, kings, not a king, but kings, is to search out a matter. So God conceals things in his word, in the pages of his word, and he stands back and he says, I wonder if anyone's going to go looking for it. God's the master chess player. Anyone like chess here? He's the master chess player. And I believe God created 6,000 years ago, before he even arrived, he purposed and put these plans in place, and he creates this game called chess. And he puts all the pieces in play. He's even part of the game. And he makes his first move, then he steps back, and then he watches. 2 Chronicles 16, 7 says that God searches the world, the entire earth, looking for a heart that is wholeheartedly his. And those that he finds are wholeheartedly his. He supports and he backs. Paraphrasing that passage. God is a master chess player. He even puts in a person called Satan. Now, I might mess with your theology a little bit tonight. Satan is part of a chess piece. And he is allowed to be in the game. Is that correct? Maybe, maybe not. Why? Why? Why is he there? Have you asked yourself that question? Why does this all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God that sent his son for us, why does he put the enemy in the game? Why was the enemy placed in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve ever turned up? And then he steps back, and then he enters the game. He makes a move, he steps back, and he watches. And he looks and says, who's playing the game? Who's coming after me? Who's desiring me? Who's a king or kings that have a heart for what I'm about? Who's seeking me out? What's this opposition right in front of me? You see, if there's no enemy, there's nothing to overcome. Have you thought about that? Yet the Bible says the inheritance of the overcomers are this, 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 and this. If there's no opposition... There's nothing to overcome. But the Bible says there are overcomers. What's God looking for? He covers it all. But what's he looking for in this game of chess? Because he's the master chess player. Now I'm going to say tonight he's looking for a heart that is completely sold out, aligned, devoted, purposeful, compelled 
to want to be in this game, come to the end of the game, and to stand before him, hear those words, well done, my true and faithful servant. You have run your race. You have fought the good fight, and you have finished well. Here is your inheritance. And there is truth concealed here, an inheritance, a reward for us all, all invited to partake of. But are we all in the game? You see, if I was to tell you of, 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 of truth, let's say truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And if truth, the ultimate truth was from the floor to the ceiling, how much truth would you say you had? Not just information, not head knowledge, but I mean spirit-led revealed truth that has changed you. Would it be a meter, half a meter, a foot? Would it be three meters? You see, because the reality is if we think we know all of truth, we're deceived. Utterly deceived. If we think there is, you know, people, I hope you hear what I'm going to say. There is this thing called perfect theology. It's Jesus Christ. If any one of us thinks that we have perfect theology, we are deceived. Okay? We, we talk about going and study theology, and three years later, I know theology. Really? You think that you can go study for three years and understand everything and everything about God contained in that book? Really? You know what? I'm at a point now where I go, Jesus died for me. He rose again. He's the Son of God. He sent His Holy Spirit. I'm baptized in that Spirit. And there's a purpose and a plan. That's about as level as my perfect theology goes now. And I'm trying to walk with people and submit myself to people to actually discover what perfect theology actually is. Because my theology has been messed up within the last two and a half years. And that's just us trying to understand God in our carnal small minds. God says and came down to earth and said, you know what, I understand your nature I understand you. I'm coming to walk with human beings, which I am one. And for three years, I'm going to walk with you that you would come to discover truth. That's why walking together is not an option. It's the option. God patterned it for us that we would walk together to come into the fullness of truth because we need one another because there are many gifts in the body of Christ and I am not sufficient on my own. Left to my own devices, I am out of alignment. And I need others around me to come into truth. So there is this thing called perfect theology. It's found in Christ. That's why Paul said, I do not preach anything but Christ and Christ crucified. Everything's found in Christ. And so I, on this scale, I'm going, God, I've got about this much revealed truth. And there is this much to still discover. And I cannot do that on my own. And I must submit myself and walk with brothers and sisters to discover that. And understand the different grace gifts on other people that I would submit myself to that to come into this thing called truth. We have to understand that God is moving towards the end. I don't know how far off that is. 
But the book of Daniel says that in the last days, knowledge will increase. What does that mean? I'm not talking about, once again, information. I'm talking about God is revealing to his people truth that's already there, but he's revealing it a greater measure for the time of the season that we are in, for a greater purpose. And so we have to be aware of that. And our hearts are so important. The posture and positions of our heart are critical to receive that. Listen to what Daniel 12 says. It's in the same passage. It says, those who have insight, think about that, sight within. The kingdom is within. This whole transformation is an inward, outward thing. It's never an external thing. It's always an inward, outward thing. God lives within us. Sonship lives within us. It's about that being unpacked and coming forth. Living water lives within you. Is it gushing forth from you like John 7, 37, 39 says? It's about an unlocking, appealing back of what's already within you but being released, revelation, okay? But listen to this words. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Wow, exactly. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Do you want that? That's the Father's will for you and me, that you would radiate his glory, that you would radiate his love, that out of you would come him, that he wouldn't just be this little person contained in your spirit, but he would be in your spirit, your soul, your mind, your will, and your body. And that you would be overcome with him. Where literally you are an overflowing kingdom person. Who whatever you touch, whatever you speak, whatever you, you're in, the kingdom comes. Why? Because it's coming in you first and out of you. That's a powerful, powerful person. That is Jesus Christ on earth. Now hear me. We are not many gods. But we have God living within us. Now to him who was able to do. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think according to the power that's at work within me. Him, I just need to be a vessel that's open and willing to allow transformation to come and this power that's within me will be released His way and I will become this bright light as the expanse of heaven. That is incredible. If we can get our minds around that, our spirits more around that, and come into that. But here's the thing. If we're going to receive this sight, and this is a sight from within, we have to go through a process. It doesn't just arrive to you. You've got to go through a process. And I'm not saying this is the process. I'm saying it's been my process. I believe it's a biblical process. But I'm sure God, there's not just one way, but it's a type of. So this first thing I want to share with you tonight is we need to realize that we are blinded to a greater reality that actually exists. We are blinded today to a greater reality that actually exists right in front of us. You've got to choose, do I believe that or not? Really? you saying that I'm blinded to something else? Absolutely. Absolutely we are. 
Who can tell me they know all the truth? Who can tell me how well they know the intimate, the depth of God? I'm going to show you, okay? Come with me to John 4, 35. God patterns these pictures throughout Scripture if we've got eyes to see it. And you'll start seeing what he was truly dealing with in his disciples. He loved them passionately. He loved these men. But you know, you, you also see him say, how long is it going to take? How long is this thing before it, it kicks into you, that you, your spirit is receiving this thing? Okay, so John 4, verse 35, it's where Jesus, has, he's been by the well, he's with the, the woman at the well, and the disciples, they go off to find some food. And he's engaging in kingdom activity. He's, he's sharing, he's seeing this, this woman's past. It's fascinating, they come back and they said, oh, he's, he, have you had food to eat? He said, man, I'm full. He said, I am full right now. Why is that? Because my spirit and God's spirit, and I've been prophesying over this, there's been some food going on here. Do you know what? You can actually get hungry for this word. You can actually be that physically hungry that it makes you sick. How many people get when you get hungry, you get sick physically? Do you know what? That can be a reality spiritually. We're literally, I'm having conversations. I meet with guys on Friday. We're having these incredible conversations. And we're walking away feeling full. Literally full. And when it says man cannot live on bread alone, but every word out of the mouth of God, it's not just some pithy statement. It's truth. It's the truth that the Spirit, this incredible Spirit, why words are life, they fill us and we come alive. Living water coming forth, gushing out of you. And there's this incredible conversation. He says, I'm full. Then he says this. He talks to his disciples. He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes, look on the fields, they are white for harvest. These are the A team. <laughs> These are the men that Jesus has picked. Spent the night seeking the Father, picks the men, the disciples, the apostles. Right, guys, let's walk together. He, then, he has this incredible conversation. They arrive at a point and they say, Four months more. And Jesus says, it's ripe now. If you're a gambling person, who are you putting your money on? I know which one I'm putting. I wouldn't be bank. I wouldn't be, you know, putting money on anyone. <laughs> but I'm putting it on Christ. How come there's a difference? Because one people are blinded to a reality that the other person's not. And you know what? His love and his grace is incredible. And he walks with them to bring them into this reality. And he does the same with you and I. He wants to walk. That's why walking together is so important. He's given us the Holy Spirit. When we walk together, contend for truth, the Spirit comes, starts to reveal the depth that's in there. But we are blinded to a greater reality that already exists. Listen to Mark eight seventeen. Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Not physical sight, spiritual sight. Do you not yet see what I'm doing? He goes on and says, your heart still hardened. In another passage in Mark, he actually says, do you still not have any insight? 
to what I just did. And he says, your heart's still hardened. We heard this morning, the reality is, you may be born again, but that doesn't mean you've arrived. We sit under this incredible umbrella of grace, and if we didn't, we would all be probably exterminated. We're being honest. The nature of our heart, we have the spirit in us, God's nature, we have our old nature still, and there is a war that goes on in my own life for good and evil. But I, if I think I've arrived, then I'm deceived. Because the reality is, my decisions, my lifestyle, all those things show me I haven't arrived. My thinking shows me I haven't arrived. Some of the comments that come out of my mouth shows me that I haven't arrived. And so we are on a process of transformation, going from glory to glory, going from sight to sight to sight. And it takes a walking together and a humility of heart to do it. A humbleness of heart to go, God, I don't have it all together. I don't have this thing perfectly mapped out. Would you come and show me? Would you come and reveal to me? and my brothers and sisters, the fullness, the depth. The second thing is we need to be prepared for our current mindsets to be broken down and dismantled. I've shared you my mindset before. It's no longer my mindset today. I was challenged, confronted with a paradigm of thought that was not my thought, my paradigm of thinking. And as I journeyed on this journey, this mindset started to be dismantled through the Spirit as I sought Him and His Word and I walked with others. This thinking started to be broken down. The Pharisees, the Bible says, reasoned in their minds. When Jesus turns up and He starts reading out the scroll, the people are in amazement. The Pharisees are in amazement. It's like, wow! Truth is being declared. You know what? Their spirits actually were soaring because they were hearing truth. And then their mind kicked in and it went, hold on a minute. This is Simon English speaking. Isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? How come this be coming out of his mouth? We know this geezer. He grew up around these neighborhoods. He built some tables and some chairs and we've sat on them. Hold on a minute, he's, he's now saying he's God and he's come to set this new thing in order. What's going on? No, 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 no. You almost had us there. You almost had us, Chris. And they reasoned in their carnal, human, natural mind and it shut the kingdom down for some, but not for others. I was just reading this morning, I'm fascinated. That, you know, when Jesus healed the, the man with the demons, the many demons, What's your name? Legion. And as we know, the story goes, you cast the demons out, put them into pigs, and off they trot over the cliff. And everybody in the region asks him to leave. So he does, and he's invited back to where he's just crossed over from, from Galilee, and the people welcome him. How do you have two separate people here? What's going on in, in these people's hearts that tell him to leave and yet there's a whole lot of bunch of people over here say, come. 
same Jesus doing the same stuff. What's that about? That's, someone can see him here, who he is. This is starting to be renewed, totally blanked out. At the same time, these people over this side lost, didn't they? Change. You see, it's not the fear of change. It's the fear of loss of control that comes with change. That's why we don't like to change. What am I going to lose? Oh, my goodness. I just lost a whole lot of pigs, a whole lot of money. Went down the stock market, just dropped. See you, Jesus. He's only come to bring life and change and transformation to us. And the very thing that they should have embraced, they push away. Why? Because they're blinded and they're not prepared to be broken down in their understanding. But others are. Come with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, 6 to 13. Matthew 26. 6 to 13. You're going to see the A-team in action again. And I don't mean to pick on the A-team, but I see myself not in the A-team, but in many of these disciples with my challenges and my struggles. And uh, you just see it in them. And I think they're, you know, God gives us this for a reason. So here we go. Pick it up in uh, Matthew 26, verses 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as she reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant of the Pharisees, of the scribes, of the teachers, the A-team, the men that were walking with him, the men he chose, the men he's living with, are indignant at what this lady has just done. And they said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. But when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. I always find this a bit trippy when I read this out. It's now happening. It's being spoken about. Isn't that incredible? That her action 2,000 years ago is, I'm speaking about her right now. What's going on in this passage? You've got the A-team who go, And you got this nobody. The Bible says she's a sinner. She may have been a prostitute. Coming. She's seeing, perceiving who the Christ is. She has worked a year and saved up this incredible, incredible expensive perfume. Now, what you've got to know about an alabaster vial is you can't just take the top off and pour it. You have to smash it for the goodness to be released. When we reach a place of brokenness in our intellect, our carnal intellect, you know what happens? Greatness is released. When you get to a place of being broken down, it's an opportunity for God to release the fullness of life that's contained within you. But your carnal thinking will limit that. And I believe this is a beautiful image of God showing us when this alabaster vial is broken and the contents are released, it's saturated all over them. 
Brokenness is a good thing. Brokenness is a place. What did David said? Put within me. What, a proud heart? No, a contrite one. One that's humble. One that doesn't think it has it altogether. It goes through and they say, you know, the disciples were indignant. Why this waste? How come there's this complete contradiction? Christ says she's done a great thing. These men are saying she's done a terrible thing. I remember when we did the $10 giveaway at Shell Garages. Anybody here for that? It was incredible. It's such an awesome time here with, with you guys. It was fun. And uh, I remember having a conversation with someone. They come up to me and said, well, you're never going to give $10 to rich people, are you? You know, if someone drives in here with a, a BMW, and what we did, just to give context, is for two hours, we raised a whole lot of money. We went to six garages around Wellington. And for two hours, we gave $10 to every customer that came in to say, hey, just want to serve you, help you. It was when petrol still is high, but uh, it was really high. And uh, people were flabbergasted. And I had this person in the rock say to me, we're not going to give it to rich people, are we? What if a guy with a beamer turns up? I said, so? Do we not love people that have finance? What's the difference between someone who has finance and someone who's not? What's, what's, the, what's this all about? Why? Well, you know, they're wealthy and they don't need it. So? Do you think God loves them? It ain't the poor that build the kingdom release finances for houses to be built and people to have water that don't have water. It's people with money. It's just a back-to-front wrong mindset. It's like maybe this, this God loves this man so much that part of us being here today and actually giving him because he understands the value of money and what we're doing may have an impact on him and he might waken up to the reality of God. Is that inside your thinking? We just contain the small little thinking that's not God. God blesses abundantly. God, God multiplies food so there's more left over. Just to make a point. It's wastage. No one's going to eat it. It's going to waste. Wake up. See how I see. Think how I see. Hear how I hear. Because I want to do a work in you, out of you, through you to be a blessing to this world. See, God doesn't bless us for us. He blesses us for himself. Why? Because it brings glory to him. Did you get that? It's all about him. Oh, you can't get a blessing from God. Rubbish. Read the flipping book. It's what you do with it that he's looking for, the heart that's contained within it. Can he bless, can he pour his goodness in you, through you, because he knows it's going to go out of you to someone or a whole country or a workplace or your work colleagues that are struggling and you bring hope and life because he gives you revelation of what they're going through. Why? Because you're, you're, you realize that you're blinded to reality. You're being broken down. You're seeking him and life is coming forth from you. That's a kingdom person. That's you and I. Because God has the very best for you and I. Not the crumbs, the best. But it requires us to go through a process. A carnal, natural mindset will never understand a kingdom spirit mindset. The third thing is repent from our ways and our thinking and return to the fathers. Repent from our ways and our thinking and return to the fathers. We heard this morning uh, Colin share 
on this word repentance, meaning metanoia. And it means a complete change of attitude, spiritual and moral toward God. A change of one's mind or purpose. So we've got an acknowledgement that I don't have it all together. It's the starting point. I have a humble heart. I have a hungry heart. And I have a loving heart. And I want more of you, God. I want more of you than I want more of myself. I want to understand my king, my groom, this one that came down and laid his life down for me. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. I want to be devoted to you. Whatever the cost, I want to go and follow. That's the motivation to go, show me. And as you seek him with all your heart, he starts to reveal the gap. Not to beat you up, but to encourage you to keep going. And then a breaking down of a mindset that goes, my goodness, I've never seen this. What a donkey. Why do you think he mentions donkeys? Why did Jesus ride in on a donkey? Because donkeys are stubborn. It's a picture for us. We're stubborn, stiff-necked. But when we submit, the donkey submitted to Christ. And he rode in on a mule, a donkey. If we would submit ourselves to him, our thinking, allow him to break us down in areas, we will come into this life and then we repent. I don't know if you were here. I broke down about a year and a half ago and I repented in front of everybody. It wasn't part of my message. And it was nothing to do with, you know, looking at this on the internet or that. It was, I'm sorry because I've realized in my leading, I've got a little bit off cue. I'm sorry that I've been driving people, not inspiring them. Because I couldn't see. I had this evangelistic gift put on in me. And, and God said, I've put that there. And trying to figure out how to actually handle it is the hardest thing. This apostolic thing. How do you handle this thing? And he said, right now, I want you to submit it to the foot of the cross. So it's from me. Now give it back to me so I can define it. That's hard. Challenging. Come on, we got to save and win the world for Jesus. Yes, you do, but who's defining it? Well, I am. Well, it's not quite the way it's supposed to be. That's why it feels heavy. That's why it's a burden. It's not easy and light, and it's killing me. So give it back to me and submit it to me. And I repented. That's what I was repenting for. My donkiness. Come with me to Revelation 3. And we'll wrap this up real fast. Uh, Revelation 3, 19 to 22. You know, we have to be honest, don't we, inside these walls. And I just always want to be transparent. There's no perfect people. There's no special people. We're all on a journey. We may have different giftings and that. But at the end of the day, we need one another to walk. And... Uh, I just want to be transparent and honest in front of you guys. Revelation 3.19 says this, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. You see, the more you, I'm starting to understand with my children, that I discipline because I love them. I can see some of the things they're going to do. And so you, you say, no, you bring understanding and you discipline them so they can reach the goal they're trying to reach. You want these incredible young people to have an impact, so it requires discipline. 
No discipline. Look at our nation. It's a fruit of no discipline. And God loves those he disciplines. He puts things in the way so we will come to the place for our own benefit. Now we sometimes fight the very thing thinking it's the enemy, but it's God. We spend two years struggling with something. God says, let it go. It's me. I'm trying to show you something. You know what? It's me that's stopping this. It's me around here. It's me. When we, when we want something so bad, we want to abort the process. As we go this way. Sorry, stop. We go this way. Anyone done this? You go underneath. You go over the top. Every which way you try and find a way. And every way is blocked. And it's him. Because he's a father that loves and wants us to come into the fullness of what he has. So he says, I discipline those I love. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Remember what that word meant. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him. And then you have this incredible promise. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Meditate on that for about a week. Those who overcome will sit down with him. What, little old Greg Singer? What has he really bought and paid for at the cross? Just my salvation? What am I saved for, not from? What's he saving me to? Beyond just here. Now, so often we are anchored in the world. We're to be anchored in the eternal, living here. Danielle and I were sharing, she has this fantastic picture of bungee jumping out of heaven, but you never spring back. It's like you just bungee jump out from this eternal culture that's within this kingdom culture, and the attachment stays down, and it's the life source of the kingdom culture, and you're living your life here on the earth, affecting and influencing this culture because you're attached. You know, this, this, this unconditional love that's in there is here. This grace that's there is here. This power that's there is here. And people are going, what on earth is going on? And then when your moment's up, you get snatched back up on the bungee cord. <laughs> anchored there, living here. A lot of us are anchored here, waiting for that to happen. It's not the church of the Bible. It's not how God sees it. God lives from t- down, top down, not bottom up. We're just a vapor. We're a bit of dust. At the same time, we're sons of inheritance and daughters of inheritance. And we're to have an impact and an influence with this kingdom culture. Why? Because we can see. We're being broken down. And through repentance, I'm coming in to this incredible thing called revelation. Moving into a greater depth of understanding. And some of this truth that has been concealed for me, not from me, I'm understanding. Firstly, in my heart, my spirit, this was last Sunday morning, my soul, which is my will and my emotions, in my mind, which is my intellect, and then I'm working that out in the strength, which is his strength in me. That is the correct divine order which we are to flow in and through. Not strength, mind, soul, 
heart, enemy just flips it. Ask yourself, am I doing what I'm doing in my own strength? And where's that getting me? Do I feel alive? Or am I frustrated, disillusioned? That's exactly where he wants you and me. Frustrated, disillusioned, robbing us of our inheritance. God says, you understand me through the heart, the spirit, it moves to your emotions, which is your soul and your will. You make an obedient step to follow me without understanding. Do you know you could, your spirit can be fed without your head understanding? It's a weird, trippy thing. If you had said to me a year and a half ago, Greg, there's something going on. What's going on? I would have told you, I really don't know, but it's good. I can't tell you, I haven't seen it yet, but this thing is spiritual food. It's incredible. It's feeding me. There's change happening. Oh, I, can, I, can, I can feel it. It's real. It's tangible. But I can't tell you what it is. I mean, does that sound crazy? And the more I'm talking with people, the more people are experiencing the same thing because we're going through what I'll call a proper biblical process to come into life that's spirit and life that transforms, doesn't just fill our heads with information. Anything the mind catches first is tiny and small. But what the spirit catches, enlarges, then the mind catches. This is why Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed through the renewing of the mind. That's why God says, no, eye has seen, ear has heard, mind has conceived. For what God has prepared for those who what? Love him. See, if you love him, you'll seek him. He'll reveal through the Spirit. It's all about intimacy. If you're intimate, if you're close enough, he speaks. If you're far away, now God can yell, but he's looking at your heart. He's looking at my heart. It's not really a heart that's maybe interested in what I have to say. I want to say. I want to spend time. I've got things that I, purposes and plans and things I have for, for you. But do you want them? And he's playing this game of chess. And he's making moves. And he's blocking some people so they'll come to it. He's changing things around. He's shaking some foundations because we've put everything on our stuff and not him. And he's going, I'm looking for a heart that's wholeheartedly devoted to me because of what I want to entrust to that person with what's coming. The fourth and final thing is just, and I've sort of talked it, is to receive the new revelation by faith and actively live out no matter what the cost. Blindness, acknowledge we're blind. As you acknowledge that with a humble heart and seek him, God will start to break down some mindsets, which requires faith. I shared this last Sunday. It requires faith to step out into the unknown when you don't understand in your mind what you're stepping out into. Jesus is returning looking for faith. That's why faith is so important. Faith in what, Greg? Faith in him. Well, to have faith in him, you've got to know him. See, it's this complete cycle. It just goes round and round. It's all interlinked. So as you step out by faith without mental understanding, but your spirit's being led, he starts to reveal. Oh my goodness, my mindset for that, four months more? Crikey, it's now. 
Are you getting me? You see, what we say, we believe. It's quite simple. Comes out your mouth as your belief system. They generally thought four months more. Because they couldn't see. But he's saying, now, we enter into this. We ask him to forgive us. We come straight back like that. It's not this year-long repentance. God, I ask you to forgive me with all my heart. Show me. Right, here we go again. Let's go. It's a whole journey that lasts a whole lifetime. Revelation comes. But then we must live it out no matter what the cost. The will of the Father will cost you. Cost Jesus. It's costing me. It will cost you. But the cost is nothing compared to the reward. The cost is nothing compared to knowing him. The cost is nothing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When he turns up in your living room, it really is. It's like, my goodness. What motivates someone to enter and go through a process? A wholehearted love for God. A humble, hungry heart that says, I don't have it all figured out. A choice to let go of the old. And a willingness and a desire to embrace the new. John 3.27 says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. I'll just, I won't read this out, but go read Jeremiah 33.1-9. And just three simple things. You know, God's in the simple. He's complex, but he's in the simple. Greg, how do I receive more of him? Be humble enough, I'll say it again, to acknowledge you don't have it all sorted. Seek intimacy with him. Seek him out. Seek him out. Jeremiah 33 says, If you would cry out to me, I will show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know. It's a promise. Because it's a promise, it'll happen. Walk with others. Walk with others. It's what he patterned. It's the pattern. This individualistic thing that's in us as Kiwis is killing us. I think the Kiwi culture is probably the worst I've met for independent spirit. It's a strength in some areas. It's a pain in the backside in this one. Because God never said, I'm walking this alone. He said, come, follow me. None of us are complete on our own. We need to walk together to understand the Christos, the Christ. That's why he gave five gifts, office gifts. They are him, all in one. Will you, leadership gifts, will you walk and submit to one another to find the truth, the Christos? Lord, I want to thank you for tonight. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as we've shared tonight, God, that just help us to receive, help us to go after, help us, Lord, to seek. Maybe we need to listen to this two or three, four, five times and talk to others about it, discuss it. Seek you with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. 
Lord, you have so many things that you want to bring us into that bring us freedom and joy and purpose because you want to influence this world that you created so badly through the church, through these great people and myself here tonight. You've given everything we need to accomplish the task. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. You've said you will never leave us, never forsake us. And so the challenge rests with us, Lord, to allow the process to happen. Pray, God, we'd be lovers of truth, lovers of your son. Not, Lord, just for information, but transformation, formation, to become like you. Being conformed into your image, preparing ourselves, making ourselves ready for our wedding day. Pray, Lord, you'd help us, you'd strengthen us to let go. Help me to let go and grab hold of you. Because as my Father, my loving Father, I know you will carry me and bring me to a place of absolute freedom in life. So, God, we ask all of these things and more. Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Come down and stand around here. There'll be a team that can come and pray. Um, if you do remember, I'd love your prayers. I'm off to Cambodia on Thursday uh, for nine days. And so if you do remember, we'd love for you to pray for me. Just lift me up because I've got to do three whole days of teaching leadership and I really don't know yet what I'm going to be talking about. <laughs> so, but I know I will. But I've got a funny feeling it's going to be right at the last minute. So um, have an awesome week. And maybe go out there and have a coffee and some cake. Invite someone home for maybe dinner. And uh, we'll see you during the week. Thanks, guys. Inside my